You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and uh, this episode is recorded live in a mid-range hotel in Leeds. This is the brilliant Nick Doody. So here we are in um, in Leeds. Thanks Nick for uh, coming to talk to me. Much appreciated. You're welcome. This is, you're from here, are you? Uh, I was born in Leeds. I'm from West Yorkshire generally. Yeah, I'm generally. Just <laughs> not, nowhere specific. Just the, <laughs> just the moors. Um, yeah, I grew up in Shipley, which is sort of between Leeds and Bradford. It's technically part of Bradford. Okay. And how did you find last night's gig? Let's, we've, I'm aware we've got very limited time, so we will we'll set you up and find out about you along the way. But let's also, something I want to do is get really straight into it, because... On the strength of last night's and Friday night's gigs, we've yeah. both been playing in Jongler's Leeds, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't seen you for a while, and I knew you were brilliant, and I knew that I'd seen you a couple of times at Altitude, I saw you doing a gig in French, we can come oh, to that, that was, was quite exciting experience, um, but I was so impressed last night with the way you, and I said this to you on Friday, I think, after the show, with the way that you gave them stuff that they had to come up to the level of. Like, you really ripped it. On Friday in particular, I know you weren't mm. so happy with last night's game. Yeah. Um, but on Friday, you ripped a commercial weekend club doing, I thought, very intelligent stuff. You weren't dumbing down anything that you said. Right. How do you respond to that? Do you, I mean, do you agree? Or... Um, I don't know that it was particularly intelligent stuff. Okay. It's, I mean, I, I know you mean in the sense that it's not the lowest common denominator button pushing, I am going to reinforce all your prejudices, sort of stuff. But, and, and Jim Jeffries once said to me, oh, your stuff's too clever. And, and we'd just done a gig. And I went, what did I just do that was clever? And he just thought for a minute and went, I don't know, you just sound clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be what I'm getting at. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose your work for me is characterised by a number of things. Um, one of which is that you get absolutely everything out of a subject. And you don't waste any time. There's no fat on the bones. There's, here's an idea. Here's another riff on that idea. Mm. Here's a different riff on that idea. And here's three tags. And now let's move on. And you just seem to cover stuff, whether it's... Um, now, listen, I've made some notes on specific <laughs> bits. Now, OK, one, one of the things, good example was you were doing some stuff on horse meat. And... Oh, God, yeah. Obvious, no, no, no. I know what you're going to say. Obviously, it's a year past the horse meat mm. scandal. It's no longer topical. But you segued... Like, the stuff was worth doing. It was really good stuff. And you made it about <coughs> people's expectations of what they get told by government or corporations or right. what have you. And the fact that we blindly accept things without trust. And it was five minutes into you doing horse meat, I went, 
He's doing. He's just doing horse meat. This is presumably <laughs> like sort of you know topical material that's no longer topical. But you've you've elided into it so well that that I didn't even notice for a few, for the first few minutes. And the stuff was brilliant. That's a really interesting one because the horse meat. I did a rant on the Now Show about the horse meat scandal. Okay. So I, I literally also sat down and wrote sort of an eight minute piece on it, most of which isn't in my stand-up now, but some of which is, and some which like, uh, I can't do it in the Edinburgh show, but at the same time, the horse kind of news-wise, yeah. although it's still got some ripples going on, where they keep going, oh no, there's still horse. Um, zeitgeisty, in that mm-hmm. it, it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and yeah, people think of it as old news. So, of course, what I've started doing is, I have a routine about how we think of it as old news. Brilliant. Because uh, it's a very good point you make it, as if that happened and then just went away. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's disappeared, which is... Um, oh, there's a name for that heuristic in uh, in psychology, the uh, like availability or re- recency heuristic, whereas uh, you just sort of stop considering something big. So, OK, so every time they have uh, the 40 greatest comedy sketches of all time, weirdly enough, one of the top five sketches of all time is something from that year, that's not even necessarily that good. I understand. But do you know what I mean? But people think of, or, or you know, of the 100 greatest stand-ups, there's always a few have made it into the top 10 by dint of being the guy now. Gotcha. Who you know in 10 years' time will not still be in the top 10 sure. of all time. Um, I'm just going to briefly congratulate you on being the first person in 83 episodes to use the word heuristic. You're going to have to explain it for my listeners, the idiots. No. I know I know what it means, of course. I have no idea. Um, uh, heuristic is a sort of rule of thumb that your brain uses to make quick decisions gotcha. rather than uh, any Thank analysis. Um, so, yeah, that would be the case. Uh, there's something big. It's in the news. It's probably still going on. It's just that we've stopped talking about it. And then you get some resistance as a stand-up to talking about it because people go, oh, still this, he's just using old material. Yes. Which, in my non-defence, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I sort of think it just... I think stuff like that just gets more interesting rather than gets... Obviously, it'll end up being too old. But that whole thing was a brand-new line I'd never done in a weekend club before, before Friday, Mm. which is, oh, yeah, do you remember in the 80s when there were nuclear weapons... But that was solved by Rocky Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lovely. The same thing. So, are you are you going back and readdressing that material? Like, is that going to be in your Edinburgh show? Some of it, yeah. I'm a little bit wary of having too much on the Horsemeat scandal. It in does invite. It kind of invites criticism, yeah. doesn't it? Which is frustrating, given the intelligent defence you've just put, you know, on behalf of that material. Which is, you know, if you. That's really hard. It puts me in mind of a you know a compare at New Year going. What a year we've had! And yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. go back to the topical stuff of the year. Well, I but didn't do Edinburgh same... last year. Either, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, what a pair of years it's been. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, that must be frustrating because the material's rock solid. It's fresh. No one's heard it before. <coughs> the angles you're taking are really interesting. It's very very funny. Um, yeah, but sometimes you, you know just you just got to pare it down. I like. I mean. The stuff that really makes me laugh in it is the idea of traces of horse, the idea of, like, you can have anything tracy about a horse, you know, like the horse being a sort of wispy, gossamer creature that, that could be one in a room, I'm not sure, you know, what horses are like. Um, but 
We're talking about horse meat a lot, aren't we? Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Don't feel self-conscious. I also do other material. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's because I, I want to find a way into sort of attacking what it is that you do to material so well, because you have. It's kind of the, one of the main things I want to talk to you about is you are. We, I mean, do, do you think this? Okay, this is this is a sort of a, a bit of com-com hack for you. Do you right, right. do you consider yourself a writer first and foremost, or a performer first and foremost? Ooh, do I even quite agree with that dichotomy? I, you're not agreeing with that dichotomy. I think if that, I think if that is the decision, probably mm-hmm. I would have to say writer. Okay. Um, but I've always found that when people compliment your writing, it comes across as quite a backhanded compliment. You know, I remember early on, people okay. going, "Oh, you've got very good material." Yes. Which is almost like saying, "What a shame that you know you <laughs> you've just drawn a face on a balloon." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's, well, let's, well, let's talk about early on then. So how did you get, did you get in via the writing? What was your introduction to stand-up? Uh, no, I got, when I was about 17, uh, I really, really, really liked uh, Fry and Laurie and Monty Python mm-hmm. and started just writing my own sketches for no reason, with no real idea they'd be performed, really, which just sounds odd. But um, And then when I went to university, there was, this, there was the comedy salon, and I thought, oh, you know, meet up with someone at the meeting from there. I went to the Freshers' Fair, signed up for that. Where was this? Where else did you go? Um, Oxford. Okay. That's why I just say college. Yeah, know. gotcha. <laughs> yes. Got to pin you down. No, I was immediately given a job at the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wrote this sketch, and a guy I'd just met sort of agreed to do it with me, and then he bottled out. And it was just me on my own with a two-man sketch. And I managed to get a friend to do it with me who had no interest whatsoever in comedy or performing, but... He did the sort of almost unspeaking bit of the sketch. It was about us. It was a psychic fruit act. Okay. Where uh, I'd be trying to, you know, project an idea, and the guy would just pick up a fruit that matched it. Oh, gotcha. And at one point, okay. we have a disagreement during it, and he and I, he starts deliberately picking up the wrong fruit, and I'm just trying to weave whatever fruit he's gone into the answer I wanted. And two things about that act: one, it turned out that the previous year, when obviously we weren't there yet. Someone had done a psychic fruit sketch. No, which is way. really weird. Oh my ben god, Ben Moore and someone. Yes, someone. brilliant Ben Moore. Yeah, okay. apparently. Um, and also, no one else was doing sketches. Everyone else was doing stand up. Uh, so I just went, "Oh, all right, I'll do stand up instead," with no clue in my head that that is a difficult thing to do. So I just, I literally sat down in one sitting and wrote five minutes of stand up, and learned it, and did it, uh, like a fortnight later, and it went really well, and I was hooked. Oh my god! That's—I don't think I've heard of anyone doing it like that. that <laughs> Maybe really... Hengi, yeah. Um So, and what was that about? What were your subjects at that point? It was just sort of jokes, of really stupid stuff. So, having a stupid name, Nick Doody, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 some of them vaguely sort of based on my dad's jokes. I mean, there were, there were things like um, Arnold Brown, Stephen Fry were probably my biggest. Sometimes when I very, very first did stand up, before I sort of thought much about stand-up um emo phillips mm-hmm. that was a big sort of these watershed. are these are very so the, those first maybe less so bill hicks who was sort of cerebral in his own way but mm. those other three they're very sort of cerebral and clever and imaginative do you mm. know what i mean they're they're, yeah. they're very it's there's not a lot of kind of visceral gutsy punchy stuff amongst those three and i wonder is there no, do you see not that physical sort of no, I mean, absolutely. And the, the stuff they talk about, you know, there's not loads of sort of 
darkness or swear words or, you know, they're, they're not a bunch of road warriors. They're kind of really subtle, intelligent, intellectual kind of... Yeah. Oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that says anything about me or just who I happen to discover when. I don't know. But you're right. I'd never really thought about it like that. Um, Ema Phillips, that was pre-college. That was uh, babysitting. And I'd, I, I'd always been fascinated by jokes, but in that sort of weird kind of kid way of... I've memorised loads of jokes and they didn't particularly make me laugh. Yeah, okay. And then I was babysitting one night and Emo Phillips was on, though, comedian and mammal is uh, one of my Yes, show. yes. And they're gut punchingly funny. Yeah. Like the jokes are so fucking funny. And I'm just like, just gasping for breath with this thing in my head that's like, wow, I didn't know jokes could be funny almost. Although they could be really funny, they could totally swipe the feet from under, you know? Um, Stephen Wright I found a bit like that but a bit later on as well I I totally did one-liners when I started did you? as an open spot I was a one-liner comic okay can you tell us any of your one-liners from then? Um, yeah some of them were just weird rhetorical questions like um, what do you keep containers in? okay yeah Uh, does Yuri Geller have a hunchbacked cat? (laughs) that's nice I don't remember that many actually. And when you were when you were writing those, yeah. what was the writing process? Was it sit down and and churn them out, or was it keep notes as you go? What was uh, keep of... notes as I go. Okay. Uh, generally, oh, but what, what I did used to do as a student is when I came home, I, when I was waiting for the bath, which is a thing that you'll know if you're from a large family. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to have a bath in three people's time. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I would just sit down and write. And that was more when I wasn't doing straight one-liners anymore. That was, I guess when I, right, when I was a student, you had to do a new five minutes every show, every fortnight. So you never honed a routine. You just wrote new stuff. So um, I was doing, you know, I, I was writing about stuff. But then when I was doing not one of those gigs, I'd be doing more one-liners if that makes any sense. And mm-hmm. then when I started as an open spot in London, uh, I think I was doing more one-liners. Certainly was when I did open spots in London when I was a student anyway. Possibly after that, I was a bit more sort of story, sort of freeform. I don't know. I'm trying to, I've never sort of tried to think about my influences now in this sort of order. But clearly a lot of sort of, like Emo Phillips and Stephen Wright, just amazing one-liners. Um, and then you could almost see it as someone like uh, even being sort of raised on classical music and then discovering punk or something. Yes, that sort okay. of yeah. you know, Bill Hicks, yeah, fun, which again, Bill Hicks, funny when I first heard it on a level nothing had been funny before. Yes, the sort of taboo breaking stuff, the stuff about his mum wanting to know if he's still doing the suck your own cock routine yeah yeah just yeah. that oh god for someone with like religious parents watching that me and my brother watched that just shaking laughing with my hand on the volume control of the tv that's beautiful it was like discovering image. forbidden music it was like yes um and did you when you were when you were kind of uh, reacting to that stuff were you thinking this is what i have to do now were you thinking I, you know, in, in terms of your sort of comedy evolution, at what yeah. point in this did you go to London to make your fortune as a comic or, you know? <clears throat> well, I'd still do sketches when I went to London. Uh, I was, it was Ben Arn and Nick 
Oh. Uh, who later became Ben and Arn, who won the Perrier yes. Best Newcomer. <laughs> <laughs> like, a good tip if you want to win the Perrier Best Newcomer, drop Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. How did that feel? Weird. Did that you was... care? Were you hurt? Did you cry about it? Did you go, No, this God, is... no, 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 not when they won. Uh, what, they were a bit sort of cowardly about it, the way they. Because we were a three man sketch group who, who did this sort of regular sketch night. And I was doing stand-up as well, so I couldn't make every rehearsal and things like sure. that. And there was some night I couldn't. And make. who Ben and Ben Ben Wilbond and Arnold Widdison. Okay, I, I know Ben Wilbond. Okay, uh, they later did a double out sort of French rapper. Priority, I go. Yes, I've yes, seen them. Yeah, um, which I wrote. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, did, I did not on any level. <laughs> okay, so they so they dropped you and then went on to success. And you, yeah. what you sort of thought, fair enough, I can't be here because I'm busy doing stand-up. Yeah, well, they they sort of unilaterally went. Nick can't do it every week, so let's do it without him. But sort of didn't tell me for a while. And then when the thing is, we've had a meeting, which was almost that was always such an in joke between us. Me and the guys have been talking. And, oh uh, God, that was already a game. They actually had been talking. Oh man. <laughs> and it was more. But you keep doing these other gigs. I went. Yeah, I know. That's because they pay. Yeah. How were they supporting themselves if they weren't doing other gigs to pay? Do they have jobs? Um, yeah, I guess so. Don't remember. It's funny. They sometimes, just on the subject of stuff that pays, I sometimes wonder how much my own career is motivated by taking the stuff that pays. I've certainly mm. made decisions over the last 10 years and seen other acts who either didn't need to earn so much because they were living with their parents or yeah. because they had other means of existing um, or, or some in some cases really good day jobs that they could do whenever they want you know there's some acts in that sort of situation and yeah. I've often felt oh, almost in a little bit of a grubby way I thought I, I seem to be motivated by needing to get paid yeah well it's, it's a well known it's a sort of filter in the arts in this country that is the reason why so many posh people occupy our best acting positions <laughs> which is because to get there you need to do a lot of unpaid work and most yes. people can't fucking afford to do that yes yes did you it's just I'm I'm I don't, I'm not quite sure what the question is but I I suppose I I should I shouldn't worry about it should I it's fine to want to get paid I just kind mm. of I look back sometimes and go oh there's certain decisions I've made where you know an opportunity came up that actually could have been quite creatively interesting, but I at least had that little thing in the back of my head going, there's no money in that. You, yeah. you want to make this work as a thing. I mean, for me, I suppose, I've often seen uh, uh, money as legitimacy, legitimacy vouchers. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, yeah, I, yeah, if yeah. I'm earning, then this is definitely the right thing to yes. do, whereas if I'm fannying about, then I don't know, maybe it's not right or not. Did you have anything similar? Is that, did that kind of underpin your getting oh, money? Because I was terrible with that. I would take, I would take um, a temp job, and drop it as soon as somebody paid me £100 for a gig. As though, <laughs> this will now happen every week. And then, of course, it didn't. And I'd have to either try and pick up the same temp job or get another one. So I did loads and loads and loads of temp jobs. Uh, I did telesales for a while when I moved back to London. Um, mm-hmm. That was the telesales job. And I was terrible at it for a while and then got really good at it. Okay. Uh, What's the so secret of the... telesales? How do you get good at telesales? Uh, the first thing is that Note to the listener, Nick's body language has completely changed. He's like, right, okay, let me tell you how it goes. I'm just standing up with my headset on. Yeah. Um, Well, the first thing is that it's not really a conversation. You're trying to do a thing. You're trying to make a thing happen. Um, And if it doesn't, just drop it. Mm -hmm. Just rather than... I mean, you push them through to the closing questions and everything there, but if you're not talking to someone who can make a decision, it's just a waste of your time. 
and it lessens the, the it lessens the probability you'll be able to do it again with that same company. So just probably, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. I I got really worried by how good I got at it. Uh, they actually gave me a nickname in the office called Doctor Doolittle. Okay, it's slightly based on my name, but also because yeah. um, I would go in one day a week, which w- you should be fired for. But I go in and make a sale, and yes. then not come in for the way and just do some gigs. Oh wow! Um. I mean, I'd been I'd been doing it for a while at that point, but it was like, oh god, when you suddenly realise you've learned this sort of unholy skill, it's like yes. just uh, oh yeah, I know how to I know how to kill a child. <laughs> no, it's just for this job though. <laughs> so I've got a job killing fake children. Second reference to child murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we see you're the Hannibal Lecter of comedy. We've had the words <laughs> heuristic and dichotomy, and yeah. two references to murdering children. <laughs> But in my head, the second one was with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> first, first one was... So this is Nick. He's just fantastic. As I think I say during the interview, he's one of those people that undermines the whole argument that comedy is a meritocracy. Because if it is, then for God's sake, why isn't Nick massive? I mean, he's very successful, but he's a road act. I'm sure he'd be the first to admit um, he writes on a lot of shows, sort of uh, keeps very busy. But when you watch his stuff in a club, it's just so good. It's so good. He is a classic example of one of the unsung heroes that the that this show is all about promoting. So more from him in just a minute. Uh, no adverts this week, but thank you for your feedback on those. Uh, quite touching in some cases. Uh, someone said that, you know, I was a bit worried that by advertising a, a certain uh, website creation tool. Um, and there'll be one more of those coming up in a few weeks, I think, another advert. We'll give that a little try and uh, see what both parties think of that. But, uh, you know, I was uh, panicking a bit and thinking... Oh, you know, this is everyone's going to go ask you sold out, and uh, <laughs> like as if as if I bought in. Um, but uh, someone very kindly on the Facebook group said that uh, they they listened to that advert and went, "Oh, the podcast is all grown up." So anyway, that was very touching. Now I say no adverts this time, but um, I have got a weird little thing I need to cope with here. I, as you know, uh, many of you donate to the show, and I really really appreciate that. Um, I got a donation recently that says as follows. This is from uh, Lee Ridley, which name might be familiar to some of you. Um, This is uh, the message that came with accompanying the donation. I'm donating because your podcast is like a comedy goldmine and it deserves it. However, if you did want to plug my Ed Fringe show, Lost Voice Guy... Uh, then I, oh sorry if you did want to plug my Ed Fringe show Lost Voice Guy will be performing Laughter is the Worst Medicine at the Assembly Rooms at 5pm every day except Mondays full details at www.lostvoiceguy.com cheers Lee now I haven't seen Lee's show I've never seen him live I can't personally recommend it but I've mentioned it it was a very kind donation and also I admirably cheeky I thought he's the first person that's tried to do that um, I'm certainly going to go and see it after after that uh, kind donation, but because I want to, not because I've been bought off. Um, I did wonder here about, I don't know. I mean, someone asked me in the, in the very early first few months of the podcast whether I'd take some money to advertise their Edinburgh show, and I turned it down because it didn't feel like the right thing to do. But if I'm going to be advertising a certain web-based website creation tool then why not take money from comedians as well? No, let's say no. If you're interested in buying some personal advertising space for whatever you're selling on the show, send me an email, info at comedianscomedian.com. Otherwise, I can't just be... No, 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 this is madness. Anyway, well done, Lee. Cheeky move. Good for you. 
Uh, those of you who would like to support the show, if you don't have something to sell, uh, nonetheless, you can click on the PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com and enter whatever amount of money you'd care to. The people that can afford to donate pay for the people who can't. And remember, if you can't spare a small donation, some people go with a pound a show, some just a one-off, five, ten, twenty, whatever you like. Um, if you can't spare a small donation, then you're just as much a friend of the show. But do me a favour and share the bastard thing with someone who might like it. Now, uh, an email now from Axel Hargensen. Um, I'm God knows, God knows if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Axel is doing a bachelor's degree in visual art in Estonia. And uh, part of the reason uh, that they've found the podcast so inspiring is that they can see definite parallels between stand-up comedy and visual art. Um, have there been any stand-ups, asks Axel. Then you'll notice I'm hovering around saying him or her, because I don't know. Sounds like a guy. Who knows? Um, Axel says, have there been any stand-ups that you know of who've come from a visual art background? And uh, says that uh, they they think they remember that Carl Donnelly studied art, but didn't intend to become an artist. I can't remember. It's been a lot of uh, episodes and beers (laughs) since that chat with Carl Donnelly. Have you listened to it recently? Was Carl a visual artist? Sort of sounds like him. He quite likes pink. Um, That sounds like the sort of thing they'd say in Viz. (laughs) He's uh, good with colours, light on his feet. Um, But uh, yeah, so this is the question. If you know of any stand-ups that have come from a visual art background, then Axel Hargensen would like to know. Email me, I'll pass those on. Um, two two very quick things and we'll get back, I promise. There's quite a wedge of stuff today. Um, I was driving the other day to Huddersfield and back over a weekend and suddenly realised that thanks to the miracle of people uploading full classic albums to YouTube and me then plugging them into my car stereo, I suddenly realised this is a fun thing you can do when you drive, is listen to albums you really, really should have heard by now but somehow never got round to. So I listened to Harvest by Neil Moon. Nope. I've said that wrong. I've listened to Harvest by Neil Young. And I listened to, um, like, literally for the first time ever. It's an incredible album. And I just feel like I've mocked my girlfriend for years by pointing out that she's never seen Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars and all that sort of classic stuff. But there's loads of classic albums I haven't seen. Um, So I highly recommend doing that. I spent an incredibly chilled out hour. People started recommending stuff on Facebook. Uh, Not an hour, a whole journey. People recommended things on Facebook. I listened to Machine Head by Deep Purple. It's incredible. I listened to Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon for the first ever time. So get a list of those and uh, listen to some albums. Also, I thought you could tweet me at ComComPod um, with your favourite comedy albums of all time, because there are probably seminal comedy albums out there that you regard as completely like the lodestone of comedy that I may never have heard of. I'm probably slightly more informed with comedy than I am with music. But um, yes, tweet at ComComPod uh, with the hashtag my favourite comedy album of all time. I've not thought about this. That's not going to work. Just tweet at ComComPod. I'll retweet those. We'll, um, we'll, we'll make a list of the greats and uh, we'll get on the same page with them. Americans as well, if you can, because I'm really behind with American comedy. Finally, thank you for all of this. Um, finally, yeah, thanks for listening to the thing I'm giving you for free. Thanks. <laughs> finally, um, oh, oh, okay, pre-finally, someone sent me a really nice tweet after the preview I did at ARG.com Festival. I can't remember who it was. I'm not going to look it up now because I'm in a hurry. But um, it basically said, I loved your preview. You're really hard on yourself on the podcast. You're actually really funny, which is very nice. Maybe I should be more one of those guys that starts going, yeah, I'm great at comedy. How are you, Stu? Yeah, I'm rocking on myself. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Um, I don't think that's me, really. But lovely to know that someone came and enjoyed the show. So thank you to everyone at ARG. And talking of shows that aren't at Edinburgh, that's the link. The Phoenix Fringe. I just want to push this quickly. 
incredible acts, some of whom you'll know from the podcast, some of whom you'll know from the circuit or because they're famous, including Ed Byrne, Al Murray, Frankie Boyle, Ashling B, Nick Helm, Jared Christmas, Joe Lysett, McNeil and Pamphalon, Daniel Ward, Gavin Osborne, Lee Nelson, Mike Wozniak, God, I love Mike Wozniak, Andy Zaltzman, Tierna Duya, Brian Gittins, Keith Farnan and Joe Neary. They are all going to be at the Phoenix Fringe, which is at the Phoenix Pub in Cavendish Square in London. Uh, it's near Oxford Circus. Phoenixfringe.co.uk. That is basically all of the amazing comedians who aren't going to Edinburgh. Go there and uh, I is it over the month or two weeks or something? Phoenix Fringe or follow at Phoenix underscore Fringe to find out more about that. I can definitely plug that because obviously that's got loads of brilliant people in it that I've seen. And this is definitely the last final thing. I just wanted to quickly announce the creation of the first micro goldsmith. No, I haven't had a baby. I've just realised how that sounds. Um, But uh, Matthew Crosby's brother is now the first micro goldsmith. You get to be one by having someone who knows you like the show, who happens to bump into me, and then text you a photo of the two of us together. I felt briefly famous. It was very sweet. Uh, You might remember super goldsmiths are people who tweet about the show to their followers. And I'm fairly sure that Sarah Millican is an uber goldsmith, but I can't remember why. Enough of this. Thanks for bearing with me. Let's get back to the brilliant Nick Doody. What I want to get to, because I'm, I'm aware time is very yeah. limited for us because we have to go and do comedy oh, yes, kids of Salford. So I really want to sort of dig into how you, how you do what you do. So let's look at your current show that you're writing at the moment. Mm. Um, as I said, you seem to have lots and lots of angles on stuff. What is the... It's almost like I want to say, what's the secret? How do you be Nick Doody? <laughs> Tell you what, here's a question I asked Zaltzman. If, there was a, if you had to step down as the posi- from the position of Nick Doody in order that an, <laughs> that an automaton would replace you and right. you wanted to, to tell them how to do it, how do they do it? You asked him if he had to replace Nick Doody with an automaton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Teach someone, well, teach with, someone with, to be with, you with in three Andy, Make everything a sports metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, it, what is it, though? What are those key principles that you adhere to? I just think it changes through your career, of noticing when something's outrageous or funny. Because it doesn't have to be funny. It can just outrage your sense of justice or your sense of how things should be. Um, but if it does that, you've got to be interesting about it. Or you've got to be outraged and no one else is, and then you can make them outraged on your behalf. Brilliant. Okay, great. Let's go on, so, keep going, keep going. Um, or, right, so the, the opening bit of money end of the show, about buying a hammer. And the only reason I think it's funny is because I realised how fucking stupid I was that it took me a few seconds to recognise what was going on. When I, I, I walk, it's ten minutes walk from my house through, like, lovely Crouch End, right? You walk past, like, a school and a... To shops and church and banks and stuff and I buy this hammer and the guy in the hardware store puts it down on the, on the counter and goes do you want it in a bag <laughs> and I said no and then I went oh yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and immediately he started giggling and the guy started giggling because I go of course you could cut you can't just walk down bag. the street yeah, with a hammer yeah. yeah exactly and I got home and just started writing I went that is really funny and I've never noticed that before or thought about it or heard anyone do anything about yes, it. Yes, lovely. So I just, just started writing material about Hammer, And then I, next time I did Old Rope, which is a new material night um, in London, I wrote some more notes about Hammer. But then it starts to tendril off into holding a hammer. Because the thing about holding a hammer in a bag is you've got 
something that is designed to be held and you're not holding it. You've got it in a bag and you feel like an idiot because it bangs against your leg. So you wrap the plastic around it. And now, and now and you then, camouflage the hammer. Exactly. Yeah. You've got a hammer and it looks like you don't want to get prints on it. It's worse. Great. And, but this started branching out into all sorts of other stuff. And I, I think that sort of spider graph, is that the, the, the spider chart? I don't know what the term is. You know, the spider mind map sort of thing. Spider graph. That sp- spider graph is a better word. <laughs> That's a, but the word no, you've combined the it word with spirograph. Oh, maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> etch a sketch. Yeah, yeah. Graph is imposing too much rigidity on the spidery part of it. But um, that is probably the shape of how your thoughts go. You, you get oh, this so loads of things come out of this, right? So you're wrapping the hammer up still works as a hammer. In that case, why? in the game scissors paper stone do they say the stone doesn't work once you wrapped it with paper and stuff like that so that had one branch a whole routine on scissors paper stone then there's the whole thing of when your subconscious suddenly considers something abysmal like i wonder how many kids i could take out with this before someone stopped me or what if i shoved that woman under the train or and and, you know it's the thing of i want to really explore that with total honesty i suppose that's what I really find exciting about stand-up is how completely honest you can be. But you still need to make them laugh. And if it turns out, what, what if the audience go, no, we never think about shoving people under trains. You've got to go, even go either go, I don't believe you. Yes. Or, well, I do. <laughs> yes, yes, that's interesting, actually, bringing them round to that way of thinking. It's, I, I'd like to focus on a couple of things there. One is this, this idea of the word outrage. Something mm. that outrages you either politically or makes you angry. Yeah. Or something that almost outrages your sense of humour. Like you, That's a very natural starting point. You had a conversation about a bag yeah. involving a hammer. It naturally made you laugh and so you were able to start from there. So my first question is, can you ever start from something that doesn't naturally make you laugh? Because I would guess as someone that does a lot of writing for other people and other shows, yeah. you, you need to get given a topic and, and stimulate something to outrage you. Presume. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing harder than being asked to write about something that doesn't interest you on any level. Ah. Um, I had to do football jokes for a radio oh, show. Hell. Matt Kirshen and I once had to uh, write for 8 out of 10 cats when they were having an, uh, a Big Brother special. And we had to ask, uh, you know, write jokes about people who were in Big Brother. And we go, well, we haven't seen Big Brother. We, so they'd wrote us out crib sheets. There's this guy, he's called Spencer, I can't remember. Mm. Uh, he supports Arsenal and he's a plumber. What kind of superhero would he be? I only know two things about him. <laughs> I don't have any hooks in my head yes, okay. to hang him on. Um, but the answer is, yeah. Well, one thing I do with writing is any piece of information. Because I wrote for 8 out of 10 Cats for the first two series. And it fucking did my head in in a really great way. Because it made me it made me for a while not able to see any sentence with any number or statistic in it without my brain starting to whir like a you know like a machine. But it also just the maths of the joke became more and more sort of embedded in my head. And how I think of it slightly is what can I deliberately misunderstand about this situation? Brilliant. What element of this situation can I just get wrong? So, um, I think the first one I ever had was something like um, 23% of Welsh women have never what. And that, that every single element of that can be changed. It's just permutation. It's like sort of uh, 
uh, like one of those suitcases that has a combination lock. You can just change every number and have it be a completely different number. Give us an example using that. Well, uh, like you, you, like the Welsh or the women or the twenty three percent. I've never. I mean, that, you, you're going to go stereotypical on that first of all. You know, so uh, I've never seen an L without an accompanying other L, something like that. You know, so that's just a thing about. Yes, got Welsh. it. That Welshness. Um, yeah. Um, or something about. Oh, I see what you mean. With... Each of the categories can then form an element of the joke. Yeah. I don't feel like I've quite got... No, I, no, no. Well, the problem with... Because I gave an example that's actually quite hard to do. <laughs> that's but, fine. Um, so, uh, Mock the Week as well, when you write for Mock the Week, which of course doesn't use writers, but say you do, um, <laughs> they'll do something like... They've got something where, uh, if this is the answer, what's the question? Mm-hmm. And there's always a number. Yeah. Right? And it's usually a very big number or a very small number and occasionally it's sort of a middling number which is much harder to write but the fact is like if I write 4,376 what's a good question for that? Well that's anything where bigness Mm -hmm. can happen so it's like um, how many times would I lacerate my fists before I tired of punching the screen when Clarkson comes on TV something like that Okay. or how many normal names did Gwyneth Paltrow go through before she... Uh, yes, gotcha. Yawn, okay. Right? Um, but in the situation... Like, I wrote a show called Bigopedia on Radio 4. Mm-hmm. And that was... Um, you just have an idea. And normally, it's something in the real world with a bit of a twist to it. And then after that, you just go further and further and further. So I had this idea in the shower <laughs> of... What just wouldn't it be funny if there was a human parasite that repeated what you say? That like 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 a ringworm or not ring like a sort of tapeworm. Yeah. But it records what you say and then so if you go, I've got this tapeworm. Oh, I've got this tapeworm. Just, just, <laughs> but just but just but just it's coming out your ass <laughs> in, in a slightly. It doesn't understand what it is. It's just an aspect of that animal, right? Okay. This is really weird. I had. Um, the whole of the second series of uh, Bigopedia, I vaguely thought I might have some serious kind of illness. And you listen back to it, it's so full of body horror stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, because it kind of just bleeds through into what you're, what you're <coughs> yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you get to a joke that's so perfect, people think that's the joke you were aiming for when you started it. And that happens so often. So in this, it was, um, you called it the anal pip worm. And uh, it records, you know... Uh, it records, uh, it feeds off audio, and it you know gets longer and longer and longer. Elvis Presley's uh, worm was so uh, was famously so long it protruded from him visibly, meaning he could not be shown on the, the lower half of him couldn't be shown on television. <laughs> okay. And people go, oh, you started from Elvis? No, we did not. I started yes, from. Okay. Imagine if there was an anal pitworm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So let, let's. Uh, there's so much to talk about here. Um, these one of the things that interests me. We were talking about manufacturing outrage. Yes. Like like finding a thing that makes you laugh mm. about something that otherwise wouldn't make you laugh. Yeah. That's kind of what you have to do when what a TV show X says, here's a, here's a page yes. of ideas. Yeah. Or for me, it's more, more interesting sometimes to dissect outrage that's already there. And should there be outrage? You know, why is everyone offended about this? Like the thing, I think we were talking about this the other night, um, Clarkson and his nursery rhyme when he may or may not have mumbled the word nigger. Mm. And there was 
outrage about this. And the thing that pisses me off is not that I think Clarkson's definitely not a racist. I wouldn't even go as far as saying I know he's not a racist. Mm. It's that that if you've got outrage to spare for someone fucking up a nursery rhyme, why aren't you angry all the fucking time? Because there's real damaging racism mm. in the world all the time. And that, on one level, I don't find this funny when I'm talking about it on this level, but I can make it funny in stand-up. Go on, well, let's talk about exactly that process. That's fascinating. You, you're genuinely outraged by yeah. it. You don't find it funny, and yet you can make something funny out of it without the anger getting in the way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, okay, so he goes, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and we all know there's a racist version out there, that rhyme, right? Yes. Although, weirdly, in a lot of the comments from you know various articles I've yeah. seen on it, I feel like I absolutely knew there was a racist version yeah. from when I was a kid that people would say because racism wasn't spotted in that kind of way. I yes. mean, I, 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 no, I, I agree. I, I, I remember as a kid, I was told, like, my, my teachers would say, would once describe someone as, uh, oh, you're cheating Arab. Hand that back, you cheating wow, Arab. Wow, wow, wow. That was just absolute common yeah, currency. Yeah, yeah. Didn't even realise, of course, that's outrageous. Yes. Yeah, so sorry, some people did, some people didn't. But we we know that there was a racist thing in it. I've interrupted you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well... As I said, that there, there's a difference between starting and starting a kind of rhyme mm-hmm. and realizing that there's a bad word coming up and sort of like for me, it's like you singing "Happy Birthday" to someone and then remembering on the second line he doesn't know their name. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Although their name was Nigger, you know, like <laughs> just. But for me, there's a difference between sort of mumbling your way clumsily through a racist. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Rhyme, where you realise too late you shouldn't have started. And chanting that word while maintaining unbroken eye contact with Ian Wright. Yeah, yeah. Like, those are two very different things. But the other thing is, around the time there was always outrage, UKIP came first in the European elections in this country. On sort of an openly anti-immigrant, very sort of, you know, suspicious platform and their unofficial platform was horrendous right the uh just what people kept getting caught saying and um, yeah there was a, there was that phrase in uh, reuters uh ukip ukip top polls despite perceived racism mm. um and i kind of feel the word despite there is a very flattering one to the british people yes yes yeah i wonder if there's a i wonder if there's a parallel there because what we're, what you're describing is like it's easier for the British public public to become outraged by mm. a presenter saying one specific word 
yes. than it is. It's almost it's easier to understand that you can be outraged, like giving the public the benefit of the <coughs> doubt. You can be outraged by a trust, a supposedly trusted figure saying a word that we know is bad. It's yeah. much easier to turn that into a target than it is to sort of for the public to get this kind of miasma of, well, are they racist? Aren't they? They seem to speak for the man in the street. Everyone likes Farage. He's got a pint and a fag. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. harder to think about. And it's but it's as... much more important to think about the second one. Absolutely. Even but... though it's harder and more subtle. Absolutely. But my point is, as comedians, hmm. we also have to take big, difficult-to-understand subjects and take a line through them. Yeah, that's my favourite thing to do. My favourite stuff of mine is anything where I think, OK, this is actually kind of tricky, and I'm going to try and make it clear and funny. And for me, it's, it's a subject I'll come back to again and again and again. Because I don't give a shit about Jeremy Clarkson, right? But it's an example of something that... One, it speaks to us as comics because we genuinely are one of the last bastions of truly free speech. All that's necessary is that you get away with it, so you make it funny. And two, we... We do struggle with sort of the boundaries of taste, or we can do, anyway, the boundaries of what's acceptable... And I have this kind of fatal attraction to saying something, you know, saying things that on the surface of it aren't acceptable and then arguing as to why it should be. And usually it's to do with what I think of as a word filter that people have in their heads instead of an actual intelligence scanning for whether there is anything worth taking offence at. So, you know... Clarkson says the N-word and people go mental because they know that's a bad word. And it's but almost they, like the whole world, like, people love, like kids, they love to go, um, like people love yeah. to, to spot yeah. bad behaviour and, and e- jump on Exactly. It. You can't say that's a swear. Yeah. But, yes, but I said it because we nearly crashed the car. I didn't yell it at your mum, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that difference between, I think it's, it's, it's magical thinking really and it's a bit stupid. It's like, you know, racism isn't magically contained in words of course it can be expressed through words but it can be expressed in other ways as well and it can be expressed through words that aren't racist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's not a slight contradiction since I just said words aren't inherently racist the word nigger has a long racist history clearly but you can be incredibly racist and never say it and I think of course the real and dangerous racists have learned not to so you know what I mean. If if the whole of the British public has all this, ra- you know, this outrage ready, fucking channel it where there is actual racism and not just the remnants of racism in a nursery rhyme. Yeah, I think. But anyway, that's the thing. Just Aaron, what people are offended by fascinates me, and it, it strikes me the the energy people put into being offended is almost always misplaced. Does that fascinate you because you're a comedian and you enjoy these days? thinking about outrage, manufacturing outrage, expressing outrage. Do you, do you think that interest comes because you're a comedian? Do you think you'd have had that interest when you were a, you know, an early teenager? Uh, I don't do you, know. Do you, do you see what I mean? I've, I've, I've not really touched on this before, but in any of the, the interviews I've done, but I sort of wonder the extent to which our goals or the things that pop little flags up yeah. for us now are that way because we're deliberately looking out for them. I think so. Um, certainly it changes you, doing stand-up. I think... Uh, you, I tried to do a routine about this once, and it never quite worked, because only comics would really understand it. But I did a, a thing about how your thresholds as a comic change such that if you're with a bunch of other comics, like, you know, people immediately go for the paedophile joke or whatever, just because... 
it's in that way that you just trust everyone there is fine with it. Mm-hmm. And you, you need a slight element of shock value. It's, it's like everyone here is really used to very hot food. No one's having a korma. Yes. Right? And in, in the same sort of way, people immediately go for a sort of, you know, a gut, gut punch of a joke that would make most audiences go, <gasps> you know, or just or just boo or whatever. And you realise that you've been kind of ruined for normal conversation. You know, I, I find conversations with comics generally usually very interesting. Um, and if they're not, quite often that means that the comic's not that great. Because mm. comics are quite, quite analytical. And they're either going to be very funny, which is really fun, or really interesting because they're trying to understand the world. So I was with a with a bunch of friends recently. Um, uh, Sunday, I got one of those lovely Sundays where you get back home in time for a roast, and people start having you know a couple of pints in the afternoon. It's lovely. And myself and uh, Glenn Wool and Paul Meyerhog and Shanoa uh, from the Pajama Men, mm. and it was just one of those afternoons where we were just making each other hurt laughing. Turned out Shanoa's uh, mum. Uh, his dad's gay and his his mum uh, when his dad sort of split up she started going out with a cop called Dick Dickerson like, <laughs> like, like, like the straightest man you can imagine right and we where that went for us it, 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 <laughs> literally two hours of just the most complex callbacks yes, and sort of yes, like, okay. we'd created this whole world where there's little Dick Dickerson and Big Dick Dickerson just like etc and, uh, and then a friend of mine who does management training for a living Sort of texted and go, oh, are you in the pub? Can I join you? And went, well, you can, yes, but we're all comics mm-hmm. and we're being very funny. And he goes, well, that sounds delightful. And he came along and immediately stepped in and just his rhythm was completely out. He yeah. started talking about stuff and reading things off the internet to us. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, yeah. ah, this yeah. is awkward. Yeah. It's not not that he's not intelligent, not that he's not sort of interesting or funny. It was just the rhythm was wrong. Mm. Or the you sort th- of... Do you think that's do you think that rhythm is something that comics have to begin with or something that they grow? Oh, surely you develop it. I mean, I, I don't know, I can't prove that. As a man of science, I should want to <laughs> research this. I'm not on any level of man of science, but uh Yeah. I'm very wary these days of, of making claims I can't back up because you can you can easily have it completely backwards and it seems to be correct. Mm. Let's look now. I've analysed the... myself and I found myself to be analytical. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's look at the way. How you... could you say no to that question? <laughs> Do you think you're an analytical? I've not thought about it. Yeah, yeah. I've, never, I've never considered it. <laughs> Well, um, what is that word? I want to look at one of, again, I mentioned earlier on, one of your great strengths is in finding new angles, finding new tags. Is there any kind of process Thanks. that you do? to? No, I mean, it, it really is. You're one of those people who I, I would group with John Gordillo and Simon Evans as people who are just incredible at what they do. Like, very intelligent, fiercely intelligent, work hard to get to the bottom of the thing they're talking right. about and as a result end up with a routine that is a proper routine. Like I've right. got the beginnings, like my plenty of fish thing at the moment, yeah, which yeah. I didn't do all of last night, but um, that I, is, I almost feel like that's my first proper routine because yeah. it's got an idea and it goes cha-chunk, 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 cha-chunk and changed it and switches it up like that. Yeah. Almost all of your stuff is already in that state and I, I think that's true of Godillo, it's true of Simon Evans as well. Um, 
And I want to talk about how, well, ultimately, these interviews are always based on, you're great. How do I be great? <laughs> so let me just ask that. So specifically, before we get on to this, a couple of other things, and then we must wrap up and, and go. Is it the, the idea game. that you're basically going to get some sort of act that's based on everyone who's ever done your podcast? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're, you're actually be like the... Uh, like the uh, mimetic polyallo t- Terminator at the end of Terminator 2 <laughs> with just sort of every face he's ever done. <laughs> That's a lovely image. Perhaps if someone would like to draw that and send it in. Um, but... Um... Yeah, so, but, but that's, that's what I'm asking. So what do you do to some stuff? Once you've got a bit that works, and right. let's, we've talked about the Hammer stuff already, Let, let's look at something else you're working on at the moment for, for your, or either a favourite bit, like, <coughs> your, like your kids' stuff. Yeah. Or, or you know, pick, pick, a, pick a bit and tell me what you did to it to get it to a situation where it goes, where it changes up and changes up and changes up. Ah. Oh. Do you know? Do you know what? Here's an example that I, I your stuff about when things are free, that's fine. Oh yeah. But if they cost a little bit of money, that's unnerving. Yes, suspiciously cheap. Suspiciously yeah. cheap. So if laser, your joke was if laser eye surgery was free, you'd be like brilliant. And if someone offered you yeah. surgery, three pound fifty, you'd go. Yeah. No thanks. You're so not where did doctor. that come from? What are you doing to it? What are you going to do to it next? I don't know. I, I remember having the thought about something being suspiciously. Suspicious, suspiciously cheap, um, and then it came. It, it just turned. It turned up in more than one routine. Uh, uh, thing about Primark, which oddly enough doesn't work in the whole country. Let um, me think about walking into Primark and all the things that go through your head, including one that doesn't go through your head in any other shop. Which is, you know, what? I think I could buy. All of this, <laughs> which works perfectly in London and in most major cities. If you go to many places in Yorkshire, I found, and once in a while Manchester, sometimes mm. people think that you're showing off. Yes, people take that there's as a, a sort of a, snobbish thing to absolutely. say. Absolutely, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. I could understand why. It's uh, kind of interesting. But let's but let's look at what you might. I mean, maybe it's a bad but it, example. But it was no, a... but it was an idea that had come up more than once. Suspicious cheap, and, and I've, I mean, I've dropped loads of the routine, but I, I wrote a lot of stuff about that. About your t-shirt costs fifty p, like, and then you, it's from China. How can that be? How, you, I couldn't get fifty p from China. <laughs> yeah, I see what for you under fifty p. Post it. You no, I yeah, get, sure. Couldn't find any way of getting a fifty pence piece. So, from China. so this is you doing a spider diagram of trying to unpack the subject, trying to think of all the available angles. Sort of, yeah. So, you, like. So say you've got the major note. You've just had this idea. Uh, probably not too cheap, whatever it is. And then I just sort of start writing it out longhand. I mean, I, I don't always do this, but if I'm doing old rope, for instance, and I've got a bit, I will start to write it out as though I'm writing a script. I won't then read it out as a script, but I want my brain to do the job of what are the words I'm going to say at least once. Um, so... I don't know, and you go over the same ground a lot. So I had a thing about Ikea ages ago. It's on YouTube somewhere. And that was, and Jason Manford sent me a message on Facebook to say, oh, hello, mate, I just want to say that I've now dumped a routine because uh, I was trying to write about Ikea and then looked on YouTube and you've done every single joke available. About it. <laughs> <laughs> <Just like that. laughs> but that was a thing about the idea of just how can you see this, right? Okay, they sell you, they sell you something and then you've got to go and make it. But that, that's quite funny in itself, right? Because most shops, that's someone else's job. So IKEA have drafted you into the workforce, but you don't get paid. And actually you pay to yes. be on the assembly line. Yes. God, yeah. So that 
having okay. to do it like that. So the, the idea just of standing in your living room, looking around, going, "You've been conned." Yes. I've, now I have to work unpaid for IKEA for two hours before I've got the thing I saw in the catalogue. Sure. Yeah. And do you? Well, let's look just just because what occurs to me there is where, where I would trip up yeah. trying to do that. And this is the question: Can you free yourself because you're working in logic? Mm. Can you free yourself from from the logic of a situation? Can you? Do you have kind of mastery over it? Because the reason I ask is when you say that, I immediately think because I'm stupid and pedantic. I think. But they are paying you. They're paying you because the thing is cheaper. So you're paying less. Yes. So that's where you get the discount. So I would then, writing, I go, oh, that idea doesn't work. It's not clever enough. Which is preposterous. It clearly works as a comedy premise. Well, I Do actually, funny to- enough, I had that in the routine as well. And I, go, I actually, for a while, in the first version of it, I had, and I know some of you are thinking, yes, but you, yeah. know, you do that and that's how they make their products cheaper. And, go, and then I went, but they're not that fucking cheap, are they? Yeah, they're not yes, so cheap that you think yes. you know. If it was like like that was forty p, clearly I should have to make it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, know. okay. Well, that's that's fascinating because what you've done there is you've taken the problem I was having and turned yeah. that into more material, and that's surely what this whole process is about: is having problems with things, turning yeah. them into material. I'm frequently I become unstuck because I go, oh, but that's a problem. That means the routine doesn't work, and I am a bad comedian. Well, try and answer. I, mean, I think you can bring up the problem and try and answer it, and sometimes just go. I'm not going to bother. Yeah. But, I mean, where it can be a problem sometimes is that I find myself so keen to advance the idea correctly that maybe I've gone too long without a joke or it's just, oh, you're spending too long on this. Or your point of view is a bit watered down because you see the grey area. Yeah. I, I did. I did a show. That's, sorry, just stay on that. The, your point of view is watered down because you see the grey area. Yeah. So it's almost like the the outrage that we're talking about that mm. fuels the exploration dies out. You mean it's kind of it burns well, out not, a little not bit? Not the because... outrage that fuels the expe- the exploration, but the outrage that makes good rhetoric. The outrage that is exciting to watch on stage. Yes, because there's no point that you don't want to watch someone go. I half believe this, yes. but I half believe this, and actually, probably it's reasonable. Yeah. Right, which I, I did a show called Schizo uh, years ago, that, um, and the idea was that the first half of the show apparently disagrees with the second half of the show. So, you know, you know this country's shit, jokes never matter, that sort of thing. And then, after all, actually, this country's pretty fucking great, and sometimes a joke really matters and stuff like mm. that. But the idea was, of course, they're not really contradictory. It's just that those statements are too black and white. Um, but all but one review I got that year in Edinburgh was, well, he doesn't really mean anything he's saying. Uh, yeah, okay. And including from Steve Bennett, who generally is quite sharp on things, mm. and I went, "No, that's not the fucking mm-hmm. point at all." And the shows were going really well. It's not like people go, "Oh, he doesn't," you know. But yeah, he said, "Oh, it's just it's just grandstanding." He's just written this material, but it's empty of meaning because he disagreed. You know, no, that's the the fact is you can apparently hold two contradictory ideas at the same time. Because when you express ideas as totally black and white, you bleach out the colour and so you obscure the truth. And the whole, what the felt that, but I had a whole routine at the beginning about how if you want to get applause on question time, there's no room for grey area. You say something from the heart, impassioned and oversimplified. And that's, we're drawing a parallel there with stand up. Yeah. You say something from the heart. With passion mm. and oversimplified. Yeah, and if, like, pe- and if people disagree with you, yeah, you go fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. And pe- but people just appreciate the, they appreciate the kind of balls. Mm. 
which I, although I know that works, there's a bit of me going, no, but you have a point. <coughs> you know, I'm too reasonable with it sometimes. What we're talking about is divergent thinking. You know, when you get an idea right. and you try to, it's almost like how you find the branches of those spider diagrams. Mm. Like, how how do you do that? Do you have do you have a list of like okay what when where why do you have no, how, how do you generate those things? Is it just following your own curiosity? What is it? It's closer to following your own curiosity than anything else. I don't I don't have a process. I don't have a a predefined process, but. I do like kind of just hammering away a subject until, you know, it's like mining. And sometimes you go, ooh, ooh, I hadn't considered that. And just there's so much in everything. And any funny idea, I've I've got a note, I can't remember what it said now, but I I keep stuff in a little notebook on my phone. Mm -hmm. In uh, Evernote. 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 Yes, yes. But some of them are just not funny at all at this point. So I... um, I had a thought, and they're more observations or insights than they are joke ideas. It's something like, I suddenly saw how useful football is the other day. Like, I'm not particularly into football, um, but I realised football allows five people with nothing in common to have a conversation as though they have something in common. And that to me is quite a funny idea. And, but also about myself... I don't really want to talk about football for very much. But I, the things I do want to talk about are the things everyone tells you never to talk about. Like, oh, don't, don't talk about, you know, politics or religion. Why? What, what else? The, if you could, why would you talk about anything else? <laughs> that, to me, you know, I want to talk about the most interesting stuff, the things that are more important. How do we govern ourselves? Is there anything out there? How, what yeah. are we doing to ourselves because we wonder whether or not there's anything out there? But Those are fu- basically the only topics. But how fucked up yeah. is it that the, the big social rules are never to talk about anything interesting? Yes. Oh, don't, you know, don't, don't talk about sex, politics, religion. Well, what's talking for then? Oh, it's just to get on with people. You know, just. And I realise suddenly you can. Football gives people a way. To talk as though they're talking about politics or religion. Yeah. But without actually talking about anything of note. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I, and I haven't found a way to make that funny yet, but that's okay. That's, I haven't written it as a routine. I've just made it as a... This is a... Okay. It's like a psychological note. It's like, okay, yes. let's, let's hit this angle at some stage. Yes, keep that cooking yeah. away, and then you'll probably notice over the next few months situations where that comes up again and then you go oh actually that might form part of the thing and help you come up with a a premise same with suspiciously cheap some stuff's too cheap and then suddenly you realise okay there's shops that are too cheap uh, there's food that's too cheap uh, there's flights that are too cheap and this whole thing after a while you go wow it's like I've got this overarching thing and then you know you, you might ask me well how do you find all these angles but actually I just found the one angle once and then started noticing it more often Yes. Yes, it's like buying a, a camper van. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you buy a camper van, you suddenly <laughs> notice every fourth car is a camper van. You're yeah, like, yeah. Oh. Um, um, a frequency heuristic. A frequency heuristic, nice. Actually, actually that's a different thing. But there, okay. there, there is, there's a, there's a um, yeah, there is a, something where you do seem to notice things more and more often. Uh, confirmation bias. Gotcha, yes, that's um, the one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let, we, we, we must wrap up, this is great. Um, but... Do you, are there flaws in your, 
what I'm asking is, do you ever do your own head in? Do you ever sit there and go, I can't fucking do anything with this? Do you ever get depressed? Do you ever suffer from any of the problems that I <coughs> suffer from when trying to come up with something? Or are you operating at a level of, these I- the ideas are there, I'm mining, I'm happily mining. Are you always happily mining? That's the question. Relatively often, what does happen sometimes, but it's more laziness than anything else, is, oh, it's not ready. Well, yeah, but you didn't write it, did you? You just sort of said it on stage and thought it would be magically funny. That's I, I, It's almost always my fault. In fact, it's always my fault, because even if it turns out there really is nothing funny, well, you're the one who thought there might be, <laughs> you know? OK, but you never, you never find yourself in a room trying to come up with stuff. And, like, do you feel that you're a good comedian? Uh, Something I said in passing earlier on, I went, oh, Stu, you're a bad comedian, that's how I feel. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever think, well, I can't get there yet, but there's something to get and I'll get there in time? Do you ever end up kind of getting angry with yourself? Yeah, Yeah, but more for not living up up to my potential or for underselling something or just, you could have done more interesting material than that. Um, Yeah, I don't don't want to lead you into like going, hey, I'm like this, you must be as well. (laughs) What might be more well, there's another psychological phenomenon where people in uh, it's incredible your degree was in French and Spanish. I, I know, but uh, psychology is my big passion at the moment. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a thing. It's got two German sounding names. I'm fucking terrible with memory at the moment. But um, and what it is is that people tend to overestimate how good they are at, say, maths or humour or things like that in an inverse proportion to how good they actually are. Right. So if you're very, very good at something, you're likely to be pretty accurate about how good you are and not, not think you're the fucking bees when you're not. If you're not very good at it, you'll think you're above average. That, that's how it tends to go. Wow. Right? I'm and sorry, then, I've dropped my pen at that. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> and then, and then, that's psychologically interesting, but it, it's it, two sides. One's just the psychological one, and the other is it's how you get reinforced by your peers. Because if your peers are all shit at something, like if you're, if you're on the first stage of X Factor and you can't fucking sing at all, people are watching going, why does this fucker think he can sing? Well, because he's probably still the best singer in his family. Mm-hmm. So he gets told, oh, you can really sing. You can, mm-hmm. you know, all of us are sick when we sing. You, you just burp a bit. Mm-hmm. So he thinks, you know, mm-hmm. so in the peer group, this person's the best singer, and then in the wider world, they're not. And so I always feel if people go, do you think you're a good comedian? I think, not really, but I think almost no one is. You'd be surprised who I think's shit. I, th- I think most comics are pretty bad, including the people I genuinely enjoy watching, you know. How um, do you enjoy watching them if you think they're bad? Is it just I don't you, really think they're bad. I just think they're not, of, kind of yeah of what good means. Mm. I don't do really, I don't really think they're bad. It's just it's more that if I'm nodding along, oh yeah, they're great. I'm talking on a different scale to the one in my head about how you know how good you could potentially be and how good you actually are. And, oh. Is anyone achieving how good they could potentially be? Can you think of anyone like who are the people on the scale in your head who are good in the UK at the moment? Oh, okay, in the UK at the moment. Oh, no one. Um, no one's any. Good no, I have no idea. Um, I didn't see all of his last series. Stuart Lee's new stuff's fucking fantastic. Um, I think I don't know about the most recent, but sort of last two albums of Louis C.K.'s. I know he's not UK. Sure, no, that's are absolutely fun. glorious. Um, I don't know. We there's such a wide scale, isn't there, of where you can be as a stand-up? You can be an incredible artist who you know 
gets a lot of work, or you could be a real artist who doesn't get a lot of paid work, or you can be someone who completely is an artisan of it, say, or you know, someone who is able to do it, a technician, uh, or someone who's a, a hack, who's still a technician, but they're just not an original technician. And, you know, there's room for all of those on the circuit. But I get enjoyment out of watching all of those. Including a hack, like a, a good technical hack, I, I you can still learn loads from. I mean, to the extent that I'm not primarily a natural performer, watching someone who is is still such a kind of masterclass, you know? Even if all their material is dog shit. If they're just holding... And we all know people who just do charisma and stagecraft command a room with the least original, least interesting material. Mm. And you're watching them going, oh, fucking hell, and if I just just kept still more. <laughs> what are your, what are your, your biggest uh, disadvantages as a comic? What are your, no, I don't mean disadvantages. What, if you were critiquing yourself... Mm. What what are the problems with what you do? You don't stay still enough. What you know what I mean? Or just well, that's example. the thing. Not always not always being aware of the performance uh, of a thing. Uh, sometimes I I do think I move my eyes around too much. Sometimes I think that can be a thing. I know that sounds stupid, but it's you ever see yourself on TV and go, oh god, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, need yeah, a haircut, sure. a new shirt, about sure. four. Uh, 13, 14 pounds less of fat, yeah. and, and stop doing that shit with your eyes, you freak. Okay. Um. In terms of the material, though, can you can you take an outside eye on it? Or I was thinking almost like, um, what criticism of you has there been that has particularly stung because you've seen an element of truth in it? Um, I wish I did less stuff about drinking and things like that. I just wish I had just dumped that and just moved on from it because it is that thing when you've got one foot or most of both of your feet in the weekend club circuit, the stuff that works, the punchy stuff, very hard to let go of. And I think there are other people who are far braver than me at just reintroducing new material all the time. But it's harder, especially when you close quite a lot of the gigs. There's this extra pressure on you. You, you have to get as many laughs as the other people. Otherwise, what's your status as headliner? If, you know. But there you go. But I've got this stuff about a hammer I really want to try out. But it's not, you know, it's not honed by years into this perfect weapon, you know, <laughs> or perfect hammer, or something. and then, then, then sealed under a bag. Yes, yeah. And then, yeah, and then wrapped up in a bag. So that I think I wish I was braver with material, like less lazy writing it and then introducing it quicker into my stuff, and then you know, fuck it, record it, put it out, force yourself to write more. Do you have do you have any kind of a do you feel you have a fan base? Do you have a mailing list? Do you have do people follow you on Twitter? Do you, are you making any attempt to find and cement fans of Nick Doody? No, not really. I really should, shouldn't I? Um, I have no idea. Once in a while, you get people who will come up and go, "Oh, hello, we're all massive fans of Bigopedia," and you go, "Oh, fucking brilliant!" Um, and I know that there are some people who know me off Radio Four, which I don't don't do very often. But often enough, I was at a birthday party. This never happened to me before. Um, literally last weekend, I was at a birthday party in Aberdeen. Um, and someone went, are you Nick Doody? I went, yeah. I went, I recognise your voice. Wow. 
And it turned out, and I, I kept going, oh, but you, you must have known I'm a friend of gas. She went, no, I just recognised your voice off the radio. And I went, wow, that's, that's amazing. That, that blew my mind for the whole night. I kept going, you really recognise my voice? I mean, she might have been invisibly thinking, and I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> here's, we, we, must, we must finish, but yes. here's the last question. Given that you're brilliant, why okay. aren't you famous? Why aren't you more successful than you are? You, you have a completely working, you mm. know, like you make a living from being a comic. Is yeah. it, are you ambitious? Are you unambitious? Why don't people know who you are? I asked this to Kerry. He's sensational. <laughs> he smashes clubs with original... Yes, yeah, yeah, material. he's like world class. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... And, you know, I've got an interesting answer from him, but what's your answer? Like, like I was saying, that category, you, Simon Evans, John Gordillo, mm. Simon's doing slightly better in terms of profile now. Gordillo is continuing to knock out sensational work, but I don't know that... I'm not seeing you on panel shows. I'm not no. seeing you on tour. I mean, it's different for Simon, but, you know, what's... Why, why not? What's, what's, what's gone wrong, or uh, what is it that you're not aiming for? That I think there are two categories of answer to that, both of which have answers in them. So there's the stuff that's my fault, and then there's the external stuff. So there's, out of the stuff that isn't particularly my fault, there's slightly, you're a white, middle-class bloke with left-leaning opinions. So... Like it took about ten years for me to get onto the news quiz. I've only done it twice at this stage, and they did say if you were female, black, or right wing, you'd have been on so much earlier. It's just they the, said that. To yeah, you. yeah. The, 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 the producer actually said that to me, um, and I I completely see why. Like, why the fuck do you you know what differentiates you from everybody else? Why should you be put on telly? We've already got lots of people who look like you and have similar opinions. So there's that. There's also just industry stuff, so like being with the wrong agent or not having an agent for for a while. So like for the last year and a half, I had an agent. He was just really a writing agent, so you know, done bits of writing work. But it turned out they just don't have the contacts or the nous or or the stable, because that obviously helps if there's a bit of a uh, bit of a crowbar there. We're going, yes, Horse you can have such yeah. and such, but you know, because mm. um, we all know that. Of the people who made it big in the last sort of ten years or so, an enormous number of them are with two or three agents or agencies, and if you're not, you're at a massive disadvantage. So, there and are, have you made the attempt to be? Have you courted those agencies? And have sort of gone, a little bit, but this? just just the just cause of timing and cause of time scales. I've had, I mean, I've just signed with a new agent who does okay, represents like Milton Jones and. Uh, you know, Robin Inns and Howard Reed are all doing good stuff. So we'll see. I've only been with them like a couple of weeks, literally. So um, we'll see. Then there's the stuff that's my fault, which is, I think, overwhelmingly uh, probably down to laziness. More than anything else. All those things I was saying about I should reintroduce more material, do that stuff. We can do stuff that works at the club level at a weekend that just ain't going to get you on TV. It's just not the right sort of different or interesting. E- even though, you know, it's it might be superb material, it's just a thing of, ah, why, why would you put that on telly? I don't know. Um, the Mot the Week... Like, it is a little bit of a sore point, having, like, never done Mot the Week. You think, like, just... If you had to list people, oh, we've got a new topical panel show... And it really rewards people who can write a joke. 
who would you think? Do you know what I mean? Um, what not, do you mean? Make it explicit. Okay, what you mean. I just, of, of the guests you ha- you'd have, if you knew who was out on the circuit, I would have assumed I might be somewhere in your top thirty at least. And to my knowledge, I've never come anywhere near it. And I, I asked, but I've written for plenty of people and um, who've been on it. You know, so my jokes have been on it loads. Um, yeah, Ed Byrne was once. Uh, yeah, he said, well, "I'll put in a word for you." And then, and he came back. He went. They've never heard of you. He went. It's not just that they went. Oh, you were getting round to him. They have never fucking heard of you, which was sort of I thought was a bit. Wow. Okay. Doing this wrong. Um. So there's that. But I think slightly, that that to some extent is an agent thing. You need an agent who can put you in front of them. And, you know. But with the rest, I don't know. Some people, some people are very good at doing sort of self publicity and you know, putting more YouTube stuff out, recording, and that's something I should do more of. Like you said, you asked about f- building up a fan base. I own the domain name, you know, nickdoody.co.uk, nickdoody.com. I haven't done anything with them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, I do on and off. Uh, I really like Twitter, but. As a product, I'm a little bit sort of, oh, here are some jokes and here's some heartfelt political rantings and you might not like both of those things. And do you do you That's have an serious. ambition, though? Do you think, I don't really do enough with this? Because I know some people, like you say, some people are good at self-promotion. Some people yeah. are good at doing enough with those things. I, I recognise that in myself. I'm, mm. I'm, I want more than I currently have, but there's a lot of people who want more than they currently yes. have and a lot of them are working harder at it than me. Yes, clearly. Um, people can work hard with less natural talent than you might have. Yeah. And although, get further. Yeah, although... So why not? Why don't you... And I'm asking <coughs> this of myself, but you're here. But this you're is, this is a point to... made by Gary Kasparov, the former world champion. He, he, went, he, he says he, th- he thinks it's an artificial uh, dichotomy. There you go again. Artificial categorization to not think of work, being able to work hard as being a talent. Some people have a talent for enormous hard work, and it's clear some people don't. So you know, it's funny. We th- we do think of them as two totally different categories of things. Oh, he's very talented, but he doesn't work hard. Whereas someone else, we think, ah, if they were only more talented, all that hard work. That, that is a fucking. It's a talent. Yes, that's interesting. I've never heard it said like that. And uh, the, obviously, the fact it's from Gary Casper uh, mm. lends it a certain amount of credibility. <laughs> yeah. Um. What would be your, and I've got, to, I've got to find another way to ask this, it's become a favourite question in the last five episodes. What, what's written on your comedy gravestone? What's your final message to comedy? Um, like to other, to other comedians, I mean, what's your, what's your advice? What's, your, what, what's the thing that you've learned and got, there we go, that's me. I just wondering, yeah, you write something. I know it's strange to put advice on a gravestone, <laughs> <laughs> but as long as you're reading this, here's what I've learned. <laughs> um, what was the question? The question had a gravestone in it, and then it was about advice. Um, I what, suppose to, I'm to, not, it's, it's your, your final message, and it's, I'm sort of thinking of Douglas Adams' way. You're leaving Earth. What's your final message to comedy? Um, I bet there's still some material to find. There still just is. There's always so much and you think of a joke and you think I can't believe no one's done that joke before and often no they just haven't there's so much still to be funny about and I think 
to think any other way would be really depressing. <laughs> yeah, but you've also, got that right. <laughs> but, but also my experience is that it's just like that. And, and I, I sometimes will go through months and I, I haven't really written anything very interesting and you slightly think, oh, shit, maybe that was it. Maybe that last thing I wrote is the last good thing I ever wrote. Um, and thus far, that has not been the case. Um, and I doubt it will be. I can't believe... That, that that's just you running dry for one reason or another. Go for a walk, you know, and come back. I learned that um, if you are doing uh, a very intensive writing job, there's there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right, where she uh, works on a building site and she's got she's got super strength. After a while, they go, "Will you stop fucking making us look bad? This is the speed we work at." When I was doing eight out of ten cats, I, I was just in a room on my own. Sorry, forty jokes, forty jokes, right, forty jokes. There you go. And then I started finding out that's not the speed. That's just insane. And you you can do that for a while. And then you just go totally dead. And your brain hurts. And you feel numb. And you feel slightly sort of anaesthetised. And uh, when I suddenly realise, they'll be all right if you just leave the office for five minutes. Just go for a walk. Run the block. Do something else. Look, look at the internet for a minute. Because I was doing it like I was a sort of sweatshop worker making, you know... <laughs> Shoddy Primark jokes for the, or shoddy Primark jokes. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, so much, so much in tone, right? I could eat a horse. I could eat a horse. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Um, so that's what's going on your gravestone. Go for a walk. <laughs> no, because unless I'm buried indoors, they're already at, on a walk. Whoever's reading it. <laughs> there's still more material actually that'd be a lovely thing on your, on your gravestone keep digging yes we got it keep digging you'll find something funny there you go. thanks man thank you very much so that was Nick uh, what, a, what a fantastic comedian what a fascinating guy and what a brain he's got on him uh, apparently, me describing someone as having their head screwed on is now a drinking move in the ComCom drinking game. I'll try to avoid saying that in future. But by God, he does have his head screwed on. And, you know, he's a he's a, a fully functioning, happy, talented comedian. God, don't you wish he were at the very least depressed. This episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. Thanks to him. Thanks to Nick, obviously, for coming on the show. Podman by Olivia Phipps. Thanks, Livy. Um, lovely to meet you at ARG.com, uh, having skivvied for me <laughs> remotely for some time. And thank you to Lee Griffiths, who I really should have thanked. Lee Griffiths at Soho Theatre. He's also a member of uh, Late Night Gimp Fight. Um, and he, I should have thanked him at the end of the Armour Rahman episode because he uh, managed to source me some interview space, which he's also done tomorrow so that I can speak to the brilliant Kyle Kinane, who will be next week. So look forward to that. Uh, he's from uh, America and he's very, very funny. Look up his, that's your homework. Look up Kyle Kinane on YouTube or come and see him uh, this week at the Soho Theatre and I'll be chatting to him tomorrow, bringing that to you next Wednesday. Been very wordy today. Sorry, could have chopped it down didn't. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 